What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello and welcome to the Modern Adventurer podcast, where explorers and adventurers tell their stories. Coming up. Who hasn't been alone with two animals in that kind of remote a place, knowing that you might have to kill one of your beloved animals. It's such a hard feeling to describe and it makes you go, what am I doing? Like, I really, what am I doing? This is serious, serious stuff. And yeah, yeah. it made me really deeply question whether I should continue because I thought, you know, I could, we really could die doing this stuff. I'm John Horsfall and on this weekly podcast we talk to adventurers and explorers from around the world who have made remarkable and daring journeys in recent years. From Everest climbers to polar explorers, world record holders and many more. I hope this podcast sparks ideas and inspires you to explore and go on an adventure of your own. But what is left for the adventurers and explorers in the 21st century? Let's find out. My next guest is a female explorer who's covered the length of Great Britain by horse. She has traveled from John O'Groats to Land's End and has the most incredible story to tell on the podcast today. She goes into detail about all sorts of problems that occurred throughout her time. And on the podcast today, we talk in detail about some of her experiences. So I am delighted to introduce Elsa Kent to the podcast. Welcome, Elsa. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. And as I say, you a couple of months ago got back from doing this incredible expedition across the UK, which is something I haven't really seen done before. One, because I thought it was a complete hassle and a complete minefield to take horses from one end of the UK to the other. Before we sort of jump into that, probably the best place to start is about you for people who don't know you, but also um, how you sort of got into all these adventures. Okay, God. Um, So I'm Elsa. (laughs) I'm AA. I'm Elsa. I'm 23. Um, And yeah, I've grown up, I grew up on a little farm in Devon and uh, always rode horses since like before I could walk. And uh, it was sort of something that I needed to be able to do to help out on the farm. Um, and so, yeah, when I was really, li- and I suppose I've always been really fascinated by adventure and always been really keen to just do all sorts of weird, wild things. Um, and so when I was really, really little, 
a friend of mine had ridden around the world, a guy called James Greenwood. For 10 years, he rode the whole way around the world on horseback. And so I remember distinctly him saying to me, coming back from South America, and he brought back this beautiful felt embroidered waistcoat and he gave it to me and just coming from this man who'd just ridden the whole way around the world and I remember looking at the waistcoat and being like oh my god you are so cool I'm gonna do that one day and I think I was literally about two at that point um and so yeah I think even since then it's kind of been in my mind that a long horseback journey is on the cards and so this is just chapter one I guess and it's just finished and it's all a bit weird now <laughs> yeah hopefully the first of many yeah yeah I think so I think yeah that uh from here god I don't know where we're gonna go next but there's definitely more things in the pipeline I imagine for people listening to sort of the idea of going from Land's End to John O'Groats John O'Groats to Land's End John O'Groats to Land's End with horses were you always quite into horses growing up or was this something yeah yeah no totally I I mean I've I've tried to kind of uh pull myself away from the horsey world quite a lot because it's quite far removed from or it's become quite far removed from what I see as um my kind of horsey world you know which is like much more about riding for a purpose you know I used to always look at books of gauchos and and people riding in Mongolia and people doing amazing things on horses for for a reason um and that was why I learned to ride was for a purpose to help out on the farm round up the cattle and and now in the UK though you know horse riding's just become for many people and I'm not against it at all you know if, if it makes people happy then absolutely crack on but I think it's become this hobby that is quite um prim and proper and expensive and you've got to do things in a certain way and you know and we we do a lot of riding around in circles going nowhere and these animals have evolved to to walk long long distances and to be used you know they're such amazing animals to use um and so it feels like such a waste to have animals that just uh, like we have a huge obesity crisis not only with humans but with horses in this country because they're not being used in the way that they should be and so I feel really sad that we've lost that culture here because it used to be a really rich part of British culture to use horses for a reason to travel you know it was a the main form of transport for a really really long time and you know using them on the farm using them on the land and at war even and and now they're just these kind of aesthetic little ornaments that we keep and we brush and we cover them with fluorescent pink <laughs> yeah I'd, yeah so for me this journey was a kind of uh rekindling using these horses and actually seeing what they can do and it made me realize how amazing the things are that they can do but to get an idea or like this how did it all sort of come about do you know it was it wasn't there wasn't a huge amount of planning at all it was quite off the cuff and uh and I kind of it all sort of started and I didn't really realize that it was starting and then I'm there kind of doing it and it was all a bit weird. Um, but it came about because I'd come back from Kenya, 
which had just been redlisted. And I had a gap between, I was still working, teaching online for the school that I work at in Kenya. Um, and, and then I realized that knew I wanted to do, like, I mean, there's so many reasons why, but I just had a gap and thought, what am I going to do? And I think from somewhere deep in my memory to do with James and that journey and realizing that the gap was kind of just about right to do that length of journey and feeling like I wanted to tap into UK culture and geography and looking at all of that, it just kind of fell into place and happened. God. And and as you said, like with some of the best adventures, it's always very loose because you have to be sort of very adaptable with a lot of these adventures. And sort of the planning that went into the journey, was it a few weeks, a few months or? I think it was literally about two weeks. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I, I went from going, okay, this is an idea and chatting to friends about it and family and them all going no that's not gonna happen and then that just fed me and this kind of feeling of okay yeah it is gonna happen and then I mean there was so much that needed to happen firstly I, I called James and said look I've got this idea what do you think and he said well okay Christ like he'd ridden the whole way around the world and he he came back and said um you know after 10 years of riding everywhere in hundreds of countries uh the most scary thing scarier than being chased by the Taliban in Afghanistan was the roads in the UK riding on the roads in the UK and so he said of all of riding around the world the UK was the hardest um and so he said it's no mean feat doing this um but you're gonna need two horses and so I god I had kind of horses that one of them's great Rosie um but she's a bit old she's 17 and so I'm going oh god is she gonna make it you know she's she's getting on a bit and and so James said no you've got to take two um and then the theory behind that is uh it's much easier on the horses because you've got the second one who has nothing on its back so you've got everything on your you yourself all your kit um on the one horse and then you're leading the other one. And whenever this one gets tired or you feel like they've done enough for whatever reason, or there's something like a loose shoe or something, you can just transfer everything onto the second horse. And so I thought, oh God, okay. So I've got to find a horse that is going to work for this. Um, and that's a whole process in itself, finding something that's got an amazingly good body and confirmation and ability to really work hard and not break <laughs> and then a brain that can take a changing environment every day and loads of different stimulation and remain cool so finding that was was a challenge um but we got there and found summer and uh and then we had our team and then very quickly we pieced together all this kit and set off and <laughs> and it started and what was the feeling like at the sort of start line up in John O'Groats? Do you know, at that point up there, it totally hadn't hit me what I was about to do. I'd just driven up, um, spent three days driving up and, you know, you're driving because we drive all the way from Plymouth. And so every, the whole way we were driving, I was like, I've got to ride this. And it took three days and I was like, well, that's pretty, that's pretty far, you know, but it did not hit me until after a couple of days where like early on when I was unfit the horses were unfit 
you know, your kit's still very clunky and you haven't really got your groove on at all. And even 10 miles at that point feels like a really, really long way. Like before this trip, I'd never ridden, I don't think I'd ever ridden 10 miles in a day. Like people have said to me, you know, have you done all this training? I'm like, no, I haven't done anything. You know, we just, I've just got the right horses. They're relatively fit. We're just going to see what happens and we're going to learn on the job and go at their pace um, and build it up that way. So I had no idea of the concept of what a mile feels like, you know, just I've ridden all my life, but not in that way. Um, and so, yeah, it was a very steep, very steep learning curve the first, the first week. And James had always said to me, if you survive the first five days, you'll be fine. You know, 90 said 90% of people say they're going to do these things and then they don't do them. And of the 10% that do these things, 90% of them screw it up so badly in the first five days that they can't continue. So he said five days, Elsa, if you survive that, you'll be fine the whole way. Um, and we got through it, but there was a lot that happened in those first five days. Amazingly, he was totally right. Um, so what can go wrong in those sort of five days? Mm, um, heaps. <laughs> so yeah, like I said, your kit is all new and kind of, you know, you've probably massively overpacked. I really learned very quickly, you've just got to get rid of basically everything. You don't want anything. You want your bare essentials, you know, with like a very, very light sleeping bag, very, very light tent, water for yourself. You've got to find water along the way for your horses. Um, basic medical kit, um, you know, charger for your phone, which is your navigation. And I learned it's everything, which is so sad. I wish, you know, I wish it wasn't everything. But I think in this country, when you've got a lot of complex navigation to do to avoid really bad road crossings and stuff, it's the only way now. Um, unless you do paper maps. But I figured out that you've got to have 42 paper maps <laughs> to get down. So that wasn't going to work. Um, yeah, so first five days, getting rid of loads of kit was a big thing. Checking meticulously that you're not getting rubs um because if anything starts to rub underneath your saddle you're scuppered you know that's make because it can go septic and then you you've got a really big issue on your hands so um meticulously checking almost every mile taking everything off checking 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 um and so kit and then learning how to ride on the road was a huge thing because i mean People just don't know how to drive around horses, number one. Number two, people don't know how to ride on the road and be safe. You know, and when you've got two horses, you're the width of a car. So it's not like you're just on one and you're quite narrow and people can get round. But when you've got two, you know, it's a it's a whole different ball game. So learning how to be quite dominant and to read the road and to you you develop all sorts of tactics to keep everyone safe. Um and it's really exhausting all of that because you're trying to navigate and get that right because you can't backtrack because that's going to you know cost you like your all your energy and I mean the ho the whole thing with this the whole thing with horseback adventure and long riding um is and the thing that distinguishes it from you know like like things that we do as humans that are challenging is that you're not thinking about yourself you're not, you know, your own aches and pains and your own tiredness and your own hydration and where you're going to sleep and what you're going to eat. That's so secondary. 
you know, you're all about these animals that you're traveling with and are they hydrated? Are their feet okay? Is the equipment okay? How tired are they? You know, are their salt levels all right? Because they can't talk. They can't say, oh, I haven't eaten in four hours. I need to, you know. So your whole mindset, the whole way is constantly going, okay, where are they at in this journey? Not where am I at? That's like, so you spend the whole time probably quite uncomfortable, probably in quite a lot of pain, but that doesn't matter because it's all about them. Um, So really quickly, you kind of figure out that that's what needs to be your priority. Um, So that happened. God, what else in the first five days? Traffic, bogs. Oh my God, we had the most horrific. It was the hardest, the hardest thing that happened the whole way, the whole journey was in the first five days. Um, We were crossing this it was a 30 mile day. So it was a huge day. Um, cause when you're moving, we're only walking. So it's two or three miles an hour. Cause it averages out with like needing the horses to graze and find water and, and break enough. And you're walking slowly. You're not really marching cause it's not sustainable. Um, especially on concrete because it just wears their legs out. So, uh, yeah, there was this day when we're crossing from the Garvault Hotel, which is mainland Britain's most remote hotel, uh, which we'd had a really weird, wild night there because all that I'd had to contain the horses was this washing line. And they had like four kind of washing line posts. Um, and so I had to wrap some rope around them. And that was it. So the horses were in there and they could so easily have just gone underneath it and got out into the most remote part of the whole of Britain. And so all night I was so stressed that I was going to wake up and my horses were going to be gone. Um, oh, but I woke up that morning super early and, and there they were just, you know, waiting for me going, what's going on? Because it was so midgy as well. The midges were horrific up there. So they were really irritated by that all night. And I thought, God, they're going to just get so irritated that they're just going to break down the fence and go, um, so yeah, we woke up that morning and set off and little did I know that this was going to be the hardest day of, of my whole life, not just of this trip by far of my whole life. Um, I'd spoken to, there was basically, there was two route options. There was one way of getting to the Crask, which was my destination, which is, uh, mainland Britain's most remote inn. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, probably a lot of adventure people know about the Crask because everyone's cycling up from Land's End goes through it, goes past it. Um, and so, so yeah, we're aiming for the Crask from the Garvault. And basically there's two options. So you can either go over this old drover's route that no one really knows about. It's just on this old map that I found. And I thought, oh, that's going to be really beautiful. You know, that's super remote super like no one knows about it that looks gorgeous I, I was sick of the road even after three days I was so bored of the road um and so I thought oh I could go that way or I go around and it's more miles but safe and on this quite quiet road um and so I spoke to this gamekeeper up there who said oh yeah I think that you should be fine it's been pretty dry this year so you'll be all right and uh, I thought, oh God, he doesn't really know about horses and horses and bogs and that kind of thing. And so I said to him, do you know anyone who's ever taken horses over there? And uh, he said to me, yeah, there's a, there's a lady who runs a horse trekking business over that route when she goes coast to coast in Scotland. 
And uh, yeah, so I called this lady and, and I said, look, I'm on my own with two horses. What do you think? Is it going to be all right going over this route? And she said, yeah, you'll have a beautiful time. It's going to be gorgeous. You know, you'll love it. And I said, what's the ground like? You know, is it super boggy? And she said, well, there's a couple of bits of bog, but you'll be okay. Um, and, oh, and then, and then I said, is there anything else that I need to worry about? And she goes, no, no, you should be, you should be absolutely fine. Have a beautiful ride. (laughs) So there I was merrily sort of setting off up this beautiful route that I thought was going to be amazing. And about 10 miles in, it starts to get really hectic. The path just completely deteriorates. There's been no signal for the whole day previous to this. So there's just no way of contacting anyone or looking at any kind of, um, at that point I hadn't even figured out to use OS maps app. I was still on Google maps. I mean, I was such a rookie at this point. And (laughs) so there I am trying to figure out my way over this driver's route. And, uh, and the ground starts just falling away underneath us. It's peat bog. So it can be two double decker buses deep. Um, and a horse can weigh up to a ton. So me walk, and I walked the whole way that 30 mile day because I'm walking ahead of them, checking the ground to see if it's okay or not trying to follow this little path, but it's all well and good me jumping up and down on it, but I'm, it's a totally different ball game to a horse. And so, yeah. And so it quickly started to get really, really bad. And the horses are just sink, sinking every step that they're taking, um, and you know, it was, it was okay ish. There were patches that were, it was, all, it was all right. And then, and then we came across these bridges where they're crossing these like ravines that are coming down off the mountain, running into this loch and, uh, and around those, those bridges are totally rotten. So you're trying to take two horses and yourself across these bridges that look kind of fine. But then the second you've got two horses on top of it just starts falling away underneath you and you've got sometimes a really really steep drop underneath and you've got these massive animals that are there so we did have a couple of bridges that literally broke underneath us and we had to like slap the horse on the ass and go crack on over it you know um and yeah so that was pretty sketchy um and then it got really really bad really bad to the point where we hadn't had so we hadn't hadn't had signal. No one knew where I was, and you're looking at your horse. You turn around and you're looking at your horse sinking in a bog, and they can like horses in bogs can drown very very easily and break their legs, and that's like what happens. And so when you're up there, and it's that remote, and you're looking at your horse going this, and it's hurling itself trying to get through this bog with all your kit flapping about and you're alone and there's no way that anyone's going to find you because no one uses that path. So you're not going to be found for days. And like my whole mind is just going, if, if my horse breaks its leg up here, if one of them breaks its leg or if it starts drowning and gets completely stuck, what do I do? Do I have to put my own horse down here myself and so that's what's going on in your head when you're up there and your horses are looking at you like 
you bought me here. <laughs> They're trusting you with every step and they learn to follow exactly where you put your feet. They're sniffing the ground, checking if it's going to fall away underneath them. Um, and so your head's just in this horrible state of, do I turn back? But if I go back, I know those bridges are broken and I know that how horrific it's been to even get here. And so you've got miles and miles of that back or you've got miles of the unknown ahead of you. <laughs> so you're going, well, I've just got to keep going. I've just got to keep going. And, and then it's getting dark and you're still up there. And then it just, I mean, it just went on and on and on. And I remember coming all the way up over this mountain and um, I'm thinking, I'm going to see the crask at, around the corner when we get up to this mountain. It's got to be there. We've definitely done 30 miles. It's been, we'd been on the road for like 12 hours that day, nonstop moving. Um, and we got all the way up to the top of this mountain and looked down into the distance and way in the distance, like miles away, there was a little white dot. And in between me and that little white dot was just like this sea of peat bog. And I just thought, we are already done. We've already done 12 hours of this. How are we going to, how, because the horses are shaking. They're so tired and I'm crying and like, it's all just a mess. And, um, yeah, we somehow, somehow got through it totally unscathed. And I just, I don't know how that happened, but it meant that everything from then on felt so much easier so much easier in comparison and I said I'm never gonna complain about tarmac ever again because it's there underneath you um and then we got to the crask and it was totally getting dark like really really dark and at that point in the year it was getting dark at like 11 o'clock at night in Scotland and the bishop of Scotland was there in the crask waiting for me with a pint and it was just so bizarre I was just so shaken up and and then there was this warm fire and people and a bed and a pint and a field for the horses and and that I had no words to describe what we'd just been through because it's so hard to describe something that I don't think anyone who hasn't been alone with two animals in that kind of remote a place knowing that you might have to kill one of your beloved animals it's such a hard feeling to describe and it makes you go what am I doing? Like, I really, what am I doing? This is serious, serious stuff. And yeah, yeah, it made me really deeply question whether I should continue because I thought, you know, I could, we really could die doing this stuff. And am I prepared to, to do that? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> and, and that was only day five. That was yeah, that five was days in. Literally, I think day four or day five. Yeah yeah wow with heavy stuff um knowing that you had another two months of this yeah yeah but that at that point in the journey I, I think it still hadn't hit me the concept that we were going to do this day after day after day after day after day for months I think you just at that point you just literally every step one step at a time you know, you can't start to, I've learned also in the first week, don't zoom out on the map. Like don't zoom out because it's terrifying. <laughs> you just got to stay in it one day at a time, you know, just plan your route for the next day. Really just focus on that because if you zoom out, it's terrifying. 
Yeah. And unless you've got to Cornwall and then you can zoom out and you go, yeah, this you, is amazing. You're like that little dot and you're like, oh my word, I've only covered an inch like, on the map. Not and even an like... inch. Like, th- I mean, this is the thing because like cycling or even like, I don't know, even running, I guess you, you actually kind of gain quite a lot of ground. Like we were moving at two that day, like 500 meters or an hour max that day, you know, where one step sometimes one step is a huge experience when you're trying to navigate a bridge that's just collapsed i mean the whole way down there was there was these issues where you because you're trying to avoid the roads the whole way and so it often spits you out on these bridleways that just haven't been used because no one tends to use them anymore um that just haven't been used and so they're totally ruined and wrecked and you'll just come across rotten bridges or things that are way too narrow that you can never get a horse through and river crossings and just I mean yeah so your little dot sometimes you do a whole day of grafting 14 hours of moving but your little dot has only moved that much (laughs) and you just oh my god oh and that just brings up this whole thing of like you know, people are following this journey and do they really have any idea that I had, I didn't, I really struggled to find the words to, to communicate how hard this is. Cause I think my tendency definitely with these things is to try and sugarcoat it and to try and make it seem like, Oh, I'm really positive And you know, everything's fine and it's going great when it's really hard, really hard. One of the things that I thought was very interesting was this idea of posting and reality of what you were experiencing because I know from experience that it's very difficult to convey what emotions you are going through and a lot of people when they see let's say on Instagram a beautiful sunset or you riding into the distance or whatnot they look at it through that picture And although you might write down the sort of feelings, the picture says so much. And how did you find the sort of balancing act between the reality of what you're experiencing and what you are posting on social media? Yeah, it's a really tough one because I think there was a point in the journey where I got really, really upset about specifically this because I think I'd spent a long time trying to be really, really positive and to try and uh, communicate the good bits. And the, I, I, I'm not very good at describing things that are tough because I think you you still feel very grateful for what you're able to do and, and how privileged you are to be in this position to be traveling and journeying like this. Um, and so, you know, and all the, all the feedback that you get from everyone is always very positive and everyone's going, you're doing amazing and all of this. And it's all very success oriented when actually like some things you do mess up and you make mistakes and things go wrong um and it's hard to hard to find the words to communicate those things and so this all kind of was there and bubbling away in me and then it did get to a point I think I made it all the way to Stroud so gone quite a long way and then I kind of did have this moment where I thought oh my god I do actually need to tell everyone that this is this is really hard and I found that it was actually easier to communicate stuff by taking a video rather than showing people photos. Because all the photos that you take, even if they're of bad, 
you know, like really, really in the rain and things are broken and, you know, it's all a bit of a mess. I think people interpret that as, oh, that's part of the adventure, which it totally is. You know, it's an amazing part of the adventure, but I think it's still seen in this kind of glorified way. So I found that actually just telling everyone with my voice and my face, this is really hard, <laughs> you know, and, and explaining it more. And I think that, and the amount of support and people actually going, oh my God, I actually get it now, you know? Um, so that, that was kind of my tactic for that. And it, it did feel better after that. But I mean, the tough thing for me was like, every day I'd have people asking me, you need to update everyone. Why are you not posting more? You know, you should be more on social media and all this stuff. And I'm going, look, I've got my hands literally full of animals and I'm trying to keep us all safe on the road and navigate and organize where we're trying to stay for the night and all of this stuff. And then to, to do that and to do all of the social media and communication stuff, it's a lot. You know, I could spend half a day trying to put to words everything that's happened. And so I used to get really frustrated by people badgering me for more information because it's like, is it, you know, who, 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 what, what's this all for in the end? You know, I'm trying to absolutely, this is all about fundraising and trying to raise awareness for environmental education. But also I really, I can't be on my phone right now because there's a car coming past and, you know, I, all I can do is my best and, and you've got miles to do and distance to cover and you're busy. You're really, really busy, but people don't seem to think that, you know? Well, I, I, yeah, I, I agree. It's, but I suppose people, you know, who are following sort of look at it. They don't see the tough bits that you're going through. They don't see you waving down a car to slow down because your horse gets frightened or something like that. They only see that one picture per day, let's say, or every other day. And so in their mind, they're always sort of intrigued. So they don't really get the idea. And I suppose the sort of pressure of posting for these adventures or these travels is very much on the part of, you know, how you sort of feel about it. You know, some people can go on, but, you know, social media is an incredible platform to find people in similar interests, similar, and to tell your story. And I suppose that was the main thing. It's about how you tell your story. Yeah. Yeah, completely. I mean, it's all storytelling really, isn't it? But it's like, yeah, the difference between what's actually going on and and what people are seeing, you know, like it just really builds up, you know, because every single car that goes past is a whole, you know, you're checking, you're, you're watching it all. It's not just, you totally cannot switch off with this stuff. And it's, it's so exhausting. You know, you get to the end of the day and I actually developed some tactics because, you know, you're staying with strangers every night. And I mean, I was so lucky with that, like the, the amount of kindness from strangers and people hearing about what I was doing and, and reaching out and saying, come and stay, please come and stay. And it was so amazing because you'd arrive somewhere and, you know, they were so excited about it and they see it as an excuse for a party. So that was just I mean, now I've got friends at like 20 mile intervals down the whole UK, which is just so lovely. Um, and they're all such kind, outgoing, generous, open hearted people. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you get to the end of the day and you're so knackered. So you get quite good at um, like making it clear really what, what you need. 
and um so for me that was if if there was a bath around I was like this is what I need because you know if you say oh, I need a shower then people go ah you, yeah you're only gonna be like five minutes but if you say I really need a bath then you're definitely off the hook for about an hour and so you can kind of go and you know chill out and just like I just needed time to not be focusing on the road and all of that stuff and then also to be being hosted and to you know be really engaging and and talking to people because a lot of the conversations that you're having you do get asked a lot of the same questions like where have you come from and you know are you really on your own and and it's lovely um but yeah having that time was really nice so you get your little tactics of you know how to find even a little bit of time even one hour where you're just alone (laughs) yeah i i doing these doing these sort of trips it's very easy to sort of go abroad and say you know how amazing the people of i don't know india pakistan wherever it may be but actually when you do a trip in the uk you do actually see that sort of this the kindness of strangers is completely universal mm. and it sort of just makes you i don't know like when i did a short trip i mean it was only a week it wasn't two months like you but you just do, do see some of the most incredible hospitality and kindness from people up and down the united kingdom mm. and it, it just sort of makes these sort of trips just so worthwhile in a sense yeah absolutely i mean from like people that you're staying with to just people that you meet along the way. I mean, the amount of people who sort of see me traveling along and they, you know, they go, you look like you're on a long journey. Because <laughs> I was probably, I don't know, covered in mud and saddlebags and stuff. Um, and then you go, yeah. And they go, they go, where have you come from? Top of Scotland. And, and they're like, wait, what? And then five minutes, and you keep riding. And then five minutes later, there's a car that's caught you up. And they've got carrots for the horses and they've got like a sandwich for you and hot chocolate. And, you know, they totally go out of their way. And it just, yeah, it really, really made me realize that it's about putting yourself out there into the universe and just trusting that, you know, it, it's going to be all right. There's, humans are really, really kind beings. We've just lost our awareness of that. But deep down, everyone really wants to help. Um And so, yeah, I think, I suppose what I did also think about is that it's probably a lot easier for me being like a young woman. I think that's one of the things that it is easier to be in this circumstance is a young woman because people don't find you scary (laughs) or threatening. But I I think also with that, it's going on your own. I think when you're on your own doing these, people see a sort of sense of vulnerability um, probably take pity on oneself uh, they certainly did when I did it um, but then they I think that when you're with someone else they sort of look at you and be like oh well they've got each other so they're probably all right whereas on your own it's just you and them so it's much easier for them I think to engage yeah yeah no I think that's really really true and that kind of goes back to the whole question of why I took on this challenge you know because I think it if I really ask myself that question deeply I think it's a lot to do with wanting to find something that I really found hard and that would really be a challenge because I think I've spent I've done a lot of a lot of weird things and a lot of hard things but I don't feel like I never felt like I'd done something that really really challenged me to the point where 
that I didn't know if I could do it or not. And so I think I, yeah, that was a big factor in doing this trip was, you know, people going, it's not possible when you can't do that. You know, I got in touch with the Long Riders Guild who've, you know, have facilitated and helped with people riding huge distances around the world for hundreds of years. And they said to me, you, you must not do this with two, especially with two horses. You must not do this. Your chances of survival is very slim. <laughs> and so that made me go, well, I'm going to do it then. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So I think it was a lot about challenging myself and, and, uh, people then said to me, why don't you just do it with someone, take a friend with you. And I thought, well, I could do that. You know, and a few people, you know, kind of came into my head and I thought, oh, that'd be really fun. But there's something about being on your own with the horses that enables you to do so much work on yourself and like it's a whole I mean the whole journey was some kind of meditation process because the whole time you're so in your zone in your rhythm you're tapped in through the horses especially you know traveling with horses that's the biggest thing about it is when you're with animals they give you access to what's going on in that in the natural world because they're so tuned in, you know, they hear everything and they see everything way, way further before, way before a human would see it. So, you know, you're completely zoned into what's going on around you. And, and, uh, yeah, that's just a really lovely, lovely spiritual experience. And I need, and I craved that, you know, every morning, if I'd had a slow morning and, and hadn't got away early, I'd feel myself going, God, I really just need to be back in our zone with no one else doing this. And I needed that for a really long time. And it was only after maybe 800 miles or something that I felt like I was getting, we were getting our rhythm, you know. So even early on, I thought, oh, I could just ride from, you know, the length of Scotland or something. And that seemed like a huge journey. But by the bottom of Scotland, I was only just getting our groove on, you know, we were only just getting the getting the hang of it and and once you kind of get into your rhythm that's when you really can start to enjoy it and see the amazing things that this journey is giving you so I think that's why it's so important to do long long journeys because it takes a long time to settle into it and to kind of get things sorted and to get your head in the right space and to be able to go oh I'm actually here now and I'm actually going to enjoy this rather than constantly being up here and thinking what what am I doing where am I going you know because you've got to get out of that for a bit and kind of into absorbing what you're actually doing. Um, so, I mean, you, you've done sort of 800 miles. You did probably another 200 to get to the finish line. It was 12, it was nearly 1200 in total. So it was 1200, 1150 miles, I think in total. So, so two thirds of the journey to get into your stride. Yeah, it took, a long, <laughs> took, a, took a long time. I mean, like, yeah, Scotland was just, people drive really fast in Scotland. Um, my god it was beautiful i mean it was some of the most remote beautiful mountains and lochs and just amazing but i was still i think the whole way down scotland you're kind of i mean the midges and the flies and we had a heat wave as well when we were when we were coming around glasgow so that was really tough because you're trying to get the miles done but then you've also got 38 degree heat so you know, I had a real scare with one of my horses, the older one, Rosie. She 
we did one day i think we did like a, i don't know it wasn't long like an 18 mile day um and it got pretty hot towards the end of it and i'd needed to get through this city and um, to get to where we were staying so i couldn't stop in the middle of the city there was no way i was going to find somewhere to park the horses up for for the night and stop so i knew but i knew i really should like, it's really hot now we need to stop which city was this i think this is north of glasgow like cumbernauld region maybe something like that yeah strange part of the journey and um and so yeah it was super super hot it was crazy hot and it was middle off middle of the afternoon i knew i should have stopped but really really couldn't so i was walking and knowing that they needed a drink and i I knew that night that was the one night where i was like i've pushed i've pushed them a bit hard today um and i paid for it because the next day uh was was going to be a rest day anyway because it was just so hot i think it was nearly 40 degrees glasgow was like the hottest zone in the whole of that heat wave um and we were right there in the middle of it and uh yeah and i i went to go and check the horses and she seemed all right and then i went again and she was lying down a lot that day just really sleeping lying down and and everyone around me was just going oh she's fine you know i was i was at staying at a riding center where there's loads of horsey people and they were like oh she's fine she's just lying down but i was like i know this horse is not right because you get so in tune with your animals and and she really really wasn't right that day um i think she just got really dehydrated um even though i mean they'd had so much water to drink but the amount that a horse needs to drink to replace everything that they're losing and the the amount of salt that they need so i'm having to really load up their salt and find food that i can put salt into so that they can eat it um yeah so i'd i'd screwed it up and i paid for it because i was so stressed i called my vet that day and was like i don't know what i've done I really need you to call me and we were FaceTiming. He was going, yeah, if, if she's not right tomorrow, then get a vet physically out there and, and come and check her. And sure enough, you know, after I put the phone down to my lovely vet down here, um, the sun had gone down and she, and she was kind of up and about and, and fine again. But it it's horrible because, you know, if, if, if they break a leg or if, something bad happens but you can see what's happened that's one thing because you can actually know what's going on but when it's something that could be anything internally you know you think okay maybe it's just dehydration but heat stroke can cause all sorts of crazy issues and horses can die and you can see that they're not right but you don't know what's going on inside that's way more scary because you can't see it um yeah, so I pay the price with that heat wave. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, towards the end, getting into the sort of finishing line, who was there to meet you at the end at Land's End? Oh, we had a lovely time. We had uh, Summer's previous owner was there, which was really nice, and everyone was crying. And loads of children were there and like loads of kind of local people that I just had just heard about it. And, you know, my family were all there and some friends and... I was lovely. It was a really, really lovely time. And it was so surreal though, you know, like coming down the track and seeing the sea and seeing all of these people and kind of, and the horses were really confused. We were all really confused because we were like, the land's just run out. Like we're so in this motion of, of just, we move, you know, that's what we do. We move. And then we couldn't <laughs> that was the end and so you can see and all the footage the horses are going what 
what's going on? Like, why are we not keeping going? Um, yeah, it was a really surreal experience and it's still surreal now. It's, it feels very weird to be not moving now. I find myself wanting to keep walking. Um, and yeah, it's, it's hard because you go from being so tapped into that and where, you, where every day you've just got the purpose of, you've just got to keep going. You just got to move from here to here. That's your day's purpose. And when you achieve that, you're like, yep, that's my job. I've done it, you know, fantastic. And now life's just real life is so much more complex than that. You've got so much to think about and so much to kind of keep, keep working at every day. And, and I crave that simplicity a lot. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's probably a lot of people on the podcast sort of here. It is, as you say, your day to day is just doing, going from A to B. And it is a very sort of simplistic way of looking at it, but that's the reality. It's literally, you get up, you either run, cycle, sail, whatever, it, ride a horse, whatever it may be, that's your day to day on these sort of adventures. And that sort of simplicity is, I, I don't know, quite, quite nice in a sense. Oh, it's so good for you. I think it's what humans are actually designed for. It's much more natural way of humans existing, isn't it? And you can see that with the horses as well. They just looked amazing. They were so shiny and muscly and happy. And I'd love to say the same about myself. <laughs> <laughs> shiny and muscly and happy. I was definitely happy. Um, and yeah, I think life just becomes very simple and you've got your purpose and yeah and how long did that take you 64 days yeah 64 days mm, 64 very very lovely days that were very different every single one of them bet mgm has an unreal deal for sports fans in virginia turn five dollars into 150 dollars instantly when you place your first wager at bet mgm simply download the bet mgm app and sign up using code champion 150 then Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Did you feel like you could have made it go longer? Do you sort of wish that you had taking your time a bit more with them? Yeah, we were fast. We were definitely fast. Um, I kind of, there's part of me that wishes that, um, you know, we'd really relax into it and just been able to just go, oh, you know, we've done five miles and this is really lovely. Let's just stay here and enjoy this place for a few days. Um, I didn't afford myself that luxury because I had to get back for this master's degree 
Um, but there's also something that I think if you if you know you've got to do roughly 20 miles a day, which is tough when you're moving slowly, it's a lot. Um, I'm walking a lot of it because I walk like a third of it, I think, so or more. <laughs> so um, I think what that gives you when you've got when you know you've got a long day ahead of you is it challenges you, I guess, way more, way more than just feeling like you can just stay for a week even and fix all your kit and sort yourself out. Um, so it definitely is more of a challenge, but yeah, I don't know yet. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it just sounds like the most incredible sort of adventure and you've got some incredible stories from it. Mm, Yeah. And what's the sort of reaction been over the last couple of months? Uh, as in from other people. Yeah. God. Uh, I think people are a bit weirded out. I even got told by someone that he totally didn't believe me (laughs) that I'd done this thing, um, which was interesting. Uh, no, people tend to just, I think, be quite confused. I mean, a really funny example of this is my dad came out to meet me when I was riding from, we rode from Bath to Glastonbury on one of the days. And, uh, and he came out to walk the last, I think, three miles with us and uh and everyone we walked past dad would be like she's ridden from bath to glastonbury bath to glastonbury and everyone would be like whoa you kidding me bath to glastonbury that's so far and i'd look at dad and i'm like dad we've ridden from john o'groats to glastonbury what are you on about and he said to me elsa people don't understand that you just have to talk in their language and i was really frustrated by that at the time because i was like you're not you're not telling the whole story, but I kind of get it now. Like if someone said to me, oh, I've just walked here from the top of Scotland, you don't, well, I think I probably do, but like <laughs> maybe if someone, I don't know, maybe if you're in South Africa and says, someone says, I've just walked here from Cairo, you'd probably just be like, whoa, that, I mean, that's huge, but you wouldn't have any kind of perspective on how huge that is. Whereas if it's all quite local and you know, and you know that route, then I think people understand oh yeah that's that's a long way yeah i i sort of agree with that and what was the because you were sort of going through quite you know those first five days were pretty tough for you what was the sort of why in the back of your head sort of driving you forward because as you say most people quit after five days as you said the sort of 90 percent quit what was the reasons to sort of go on Well, I mean, I think with this whole trip, there was a multitude of reasons for me. I mean, the whole thing, the whole thing really boiled down to, um, I've become really, really passionate about environmental education. And I feel very, very strongly that this is what we need to be looking at if we want a regenerative future for our species. Um, and, and it's the solution that I've seen. And so at that point in time, that felt like the best offering that I could give to that mission. And um, it was all very clear in my mind. I knew exactly where every pound of this money has been going and exactly what impact that's going to have. And I fully, fully believe that those projects could really, really help us to exist on this planet, you know? And so, you know, there's that whole thing going on in your head. Um, which is maybe really way too kind of a bigger concept, but there is that in the back of your mind that you're like, you're doing this 
for a really, really big reason, you know, and this is, and I suppose it's just about giving, giving your best offering to something that you believe in. Um, so that was one big reason that kept me going. And then there's definitely a thing of, no, you haven't really challenged yourself that yeah, I know I could keep going, you know, I know I could, and I know the horses could, I, I never pushed that. Like if they needed to rest, they rested. Um, yeah. Why? God. Yeah. I think it is to do with doing something you really deeply believe is going to make a big and a good difference. Um, and then doing something that challenges you and, and also about finishing something, you know, you, you want to, if you're going to start something and commit time and energy to it to such an extent, then I think you owe it to yourself to see it through. Um, yeah <laughs> and so yeah I think I think it's a lot to do with that really I don't know I guess that's yeah I guess that's the extent of it I think it's a lot I mean for, it really 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 was about environmental education um and still is you know that's it's continuing even now the work towards that project um the fundraising the next mission it's all singing from the same hymn sheet and I suppose with COP26 going on at the moment, what's the one thing coming out of it that you would like to see? Well, I think for me, I mean, this it's a hugely, hugely complex issue that we've got here. And all of this stuff stemmed from me studying the education system and realizing that it is the system that we have to influence the human species. You know, every country has some form of education, whether it's a cultural ritual or a formal education system like we have here. Um, and so that is the tool that we have to create humans that don't destroy the planet. So if we get that system right, we don't have it right at the moment, but if we work on it and get it right, you know, we are really, really doing something that is sustainable. But if we're just trying to kind of be more we basically need to be more preventative rather than cure orientated. So at the moment, there's a lot of kind of, let's just kind of uh, sort out the, the resultant issues of this problem. But actually we need to look at the root of this issue. And it's the fact that we're producing people that are so in themselves, you know, we're producing humans that are educated to believe that the important thing in life is only what benefits them and not what benefits everyone around them, the environment, their communities and those factors. And you can't blame the people. It's totally not their fault. It's, it's not the fault of the people who've designed the system even because they've been through that same system. It's about recognizing that there's flexibility in that system. It's not doing anyone any favors. It's really damaging people's well-being and mental health. Um, and it's really, really damaging the earth because if you have that mind, if humans have that mindset, then that's when they start making really wonky consumer decisions. Um, and when politicians start making bad decisions too, because they just don't seem to see the connection, I think, between the way we've been educated, the way we've been shaped as human beings, and then the way we're subsequently shaping the world around us. So it's about seeing how we have, we have the capacity to really shift that within ourselves and within this system. And I think if we can create a system that actually looks at us in a more holistic way and looks at the environment that we're living in, the finite planet that we're living on and shapes our human species 
to be uh, in relationship with that more, then maybe there's some hope somewhere, I hope. <laughs> One hopes. Well, it's been such a pleasure listening to your stories. There's a part of the show where we ask the same five questions to each guest each week, with the first being... On these trips or expeditions that you do, what's the one gadget that you always take with you? God, uh, gadget. gadget. Does it have to be a gadget? Well, of some sort, yeah. I mean, it can be like a knife if... <laughs> well, I did take... I took a Gerber, not a uh, Leatherman, a Gerber. That is actually... It's not with me now, but I really learned that that was a totally essential piece of kit, whether it's to you know get a gate off its hinges by bending a nail because you're stuck in a field which happened a few times um or i don't know cutting something that's wrapped around something's leg and you've got to sort it out quickly um or even eating rice with a knife uh yeah my gerber <laughs> that's always a challenge <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah rice with a knife rice with a knife yeah, I mean, there's no space for utensils. I'm all about travel light, so. Worm to your spork or spoon? Nope, none of that. I didn't take, I threw out my tranger. I said my, yeah, I, I traveled, I would literally like, I think it's less than, less than eight kilos of kit. So n nothing, including all clothes, all like camping equipment. Wow. All safety stuff. That is not a lot of weight. Yeah, it was pretty nuts i even i even at one point got rid of my tent and and swapped it for a plastic bag like <laughs> a human-sized plastic bag um because it's just you just if you if you're not i mean people would offer me places to stay a lot of the time um but if you're not using something all the time then you just resent the kit that you're carrying you just look at it and go i've carried you for days and i haven't even used you like why are you here you know so yeah travel light very nice. What about your favorite adventure or travel book? Ooh, um, I'm currently reading Africa Overland that, uh, God, I should know who it's written by. It's this really beautiful old book of how to drive a vehicle across Africa, um, which may or may not be happening next. And, uh, and so, yeah, and it's got all these like old charts of drove for 20 minutes, moved this distance, uh, and got from here to here and it's just it's beautiful the old, all the old really really old photos and yeah it's amazing oh lovely why are adventures important to you I think for me it's about rekindling that sense of wonder about the earth and uh, going back to childhood as well I'm really fascinated by reconnecting people with uh, their childlike selves um, and having a really kind of playful time. I think it's a lot about playfulness um, and not having the answers. I think something I've become really, yeah, I think it's about the big thing I would say with this, why adventures is putting yourself in a position where you don't know all the answers and having to be cool with that. That is so important because we, like human life doesn't have all the answers. And so we have to be able to just know that, we're gonna we'll just trust yourself to deal with it you know yeah you're gonna you're gonna go through life not knowing quite a lot exactly whether you like it or not mm. and mm. i actually really like the way you just sort of put that 
Thank you. <laughs> yeah. What about your favorite quote or motivational quote? Oh my God, I don't know about that one. Motivational quote. Well, just keep any, Dory finding Nemo. Just keep <laughs> swimming. <laughs> that does. I mean, I know it's probably really cheesy, but like it, it came up a lot in my head when, <laughs> when the shit hits the fan. Just keep swimming. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. <laughs> Thanks. Finally, uh, people listening are always keen to travel and go on these sort of big adventures. What's the one thing you would recommend for them to get started? God, I think taking the first step's the hardest thing, isn't it? So, um, I think it's a lot about not feeling like you need validation from other people for your idea. Like if there's something you really want to do, chances are everyone around you is going to tell you that it's not possible for some reason. And, you know, there's always, there's always a reason not to do something. That's what's really been in my head recently is every time something comes up, whether it's simply, do I, should I go outside and go and get a loaf of bread or, you know, go that far. Like there's always a reason not to do something and you've just got to find the right reasons to do it because life's too short to not do things. You know, it's so short and it can, you know, come at you when you least expect it and suddenly things change you know i think we've become all we've become really disconnected from our own mortality and yeah we're all we're all finite and we don't know how long we've got so we've got to crack on make the most of it and if you can do that for a, a reason that helps something then that's that's nice <laughs> take take the trip or take the holiday because well, what's the one it always says because you won't remember mowing the lawn perfectly straight but you will remember <laughs> yeah. that amazing trip that you took mm, absolutely we've got to get out there i mean this world is just so abundant the problem is flying you know we've got to cut the flying so yeah if you can find a horse then <laughs> then go for that um, it's a bit longer <laughs> it takes a while i mean my biggest message with the climate ride is slowing down right so we moved so slowly two miles an hour three miles an hour for months months and uh never been happier so slowing down is fine you know sometimes one mile is, is a whole journey so you did sort of just briefly brush upon it but what is next um <laughs> uh, well next i've just started my master's in ecological design thinking um so i need to get that underway uh before the next trip happen. i've just done a shorter trip a hundred mile trip on horseback with a friend who uh did john agrets to land's end too um so that just happened which was a bit weird because it was very soon and it was with loads of people so that was bizarre um yeah but next there's something very very exciting and very big lined up and i'm quite intimidated by it at the moment but it's gonna happen i'm not gonna say anymore <laughs> yeah yeah I, I always remember you sort of want to keep it quiet until it's like official and then you're like okay it's happening okay great now i can say it. you don't really want to jinx it well exactly because you also don't know you don't want to kind of fix yourself to a certain plan like it especially in this phase things always are changing a bit this 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 thing is um much more planned than my last 
adventure and uh yeah it's much more i guess when you're doing things with other people you kind of got to discuss how you're actually going to do it you can't just go oh no i'll just sort myself out um so yeah it's different kettle of fish but i'm very excited and finally elsa how can people find you and follow this big adventure when it does happen um that's a good question so uh you've got a someone i was in a gig last night and someone was promoting their social media and they said the phrase you've got to pick your poison uh facebook instagram (laughs) whatever it is and i quite like that so pick your poison (laughs) uh i'm on instagram as elsa kent and uh i'm on facebook as the climate ride um which is where i'm probably most active um yeah amazing well elsa it's been an absolute pleasure listening to your stories and i cannot thank you enough for coming all the way to uh west london to to film this to record this (laughs) it's the first time in a year we've actually well i've managed to record in person Mm -hmm. which certainly has made it a lot more fun and interesting for sure no it's been really cool to be here and it's great isn't it being in person wow (laughs) yeah exactly Mm, cool so thank you thank you so much thank you for listening you can watch the podcast on youtube now and don't forget to subscribe and sign up to the monthly newsletter, which is in the description below. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, tag me on Instagram at John Horsfall. I'm always keen to connect with other adventurers. And I look forward to next week for another fascinating tale of adventure. But till then, have a great day and happy adventures.